Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 1, 33. Greatest contact, bearing 348, Karam 120, one ship, getting recognition signal. It's the Olympic carrier, sir. Is that confirmed? It's confirmed, sir. Thank the gods. Action stations. Put the fleet into condition one. I want all Vipers manned and ready, but keep them in the tubes. Mr. Gator. Fleet to condition one. Restart the clock. 33 minutes. I hope you're wrong. So do I. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dean, and Matthew's sitting here, kind of next to me, virtually next to me. And uh, we are officially into season one of Battlestar Galactica. Matthew, how are you this evening? I am so good. Finally happy about being in these these regular 45-minute episodes, not the gigantic epic as fun as it was to watch i'm ready to dive into the long haul diving into the long haul short form long haul i like your style now we're going to start this the way we always do guys we're going to do some initial impressions we're going to get to our trivia answers from last week and we're going to uh cover those um we're going to explicate our way through this we're going to uh get into some uh observations and final questions uh, as well as another trivia question, right? Is that how we that do things? It. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, we typically end with a trivia question, which is a teaser question. It teases possibilities for the fo- for the next episode, and uh, we go from there. Disclaimer: We are uh, we're swearing and we're spoiling. <laughs> we're not spoiling absolutely. anything ahead of this episode, no, though. Absolutely not. And just as but- a reminder, you heard it in the intro, but I'm Dean. That's Matthew. I've seen it. He hasn't. And that's how we're running the ship here. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, why don't we get right into our initial impressions with uh, 33. Obviously, mine are going to be a little bit different than yours. Mine are going to be more of a refined and polished recalling of this. Yours is a nice raw, holy shit, I've never seen this before feeling. <laughs> Childish had, and uninformed. Haven't, haven't had years to reflect on it like I have, uh, which <laughs> is what's so interesting about the dynamic of this conversation Something that I am uh, very excited about. Definitely. Well, who should go first? Should I, should I listen to your refined ways or should I just dump mine out there? I think you should go first. Oh, well, I, for one, was immediately grabbed by just the premise of this episode. I, I was left from the other one wondering, you know, they kind of leave on an interesting cliffhanger for at the end of the miniseries. Of we, we are revealed that Boomer is, in fact, a Cylon, one of the evidently... 12, 12 models, which I've got a lot to talk about that note. I want to Excellent. save that toward, toward the end. But um, yeah, so that was kind of our cliffhanger moment. And you're left wondering if that is, you know, I, there was a part of me, I, I thought the show was better than this, and it was, but there was a part of me in the back of my mind thinking, 
okay, are we going to open up with a, you know, oh, a inconspicuous, strange shot on Boomer with her eyes darting back and forth, and now, the, you know, it's our writing from the jump, picking up from the cliffhanger of, ooh, Boomer's a Cylon. I didn't think it was going to do that, uh, and it pleasantly did not. We jump instead into a premise I had no idea was going to be coming, that they seem to be locked in an infinite time loop chase with the Cylons. With this, every 33 minutes, they jump to light speed, they get to another place. 33 minutes later, here are the Cylons again, attacking, 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 and people are just being worn down. It, I, I thought we couldn't see them get this desperate this fast from the last episode, but they are already so much more haggard and tired just from this past episode to now. And that, that was an incredible place to start, I think. So really, again, they're hammering home the desperation of the entire situation. And I thought that was, again, just so palpable and well done, especially Gaius just completely coming unhinged throughout this episode. We really see it in him. And it really gives us uh, a view of the backbone of a lot of the other you know, stronger characters like Adama, like Starbuck and all these other guys. I, I really loved that core premise of the show. And again, like I was saying in, in the past episodes, you know, I'm impressed at how well – this show has very layered and intricate plots uh, that sacrifice nothing of the characters. You know, we have just as equally fleshed out uh, and well-represented characters. It's not just plot devices back and forth. Um, they really are. They, they blend those both of those elements so well. Excellent. Very good analysis. I like that a lot. What do you think of James Callis this week? He, he, he's uh, Gaius. Oh, Gaius. Yeah. No, I... Uh, this is the cliffhanger episode for him. This this repenting and finding the Cylon God, I guess, by the end is is a questionable moment. He's definitely, you know, the the combination of him having to fight with this mental image of Six, which he still probably doesn't understand is totally real or not, uh, and having to go without sleep for 130 hours. Bad place for him to be in. Extremely vulnerable. Uh, I think his character is going to be definitely changing from this episode out. It left me wondering how much of a villain he's going to become. Mm. Pretty good actor, this guy, huh? I love him. He's great. He's really good. And uh, he really shines in this episode. It's, they, it doesn't take, it does not take the showrunners long to figure out that this guy's brilliant. Yeah, and to use that. Yep, and to use it, absolutely. I mean, obviously they knew bringing him in, but it's obvious they know what his strengths are, uh, what he can do performance-wise, how he can dart around and be shifty and be great at the same time and then have these periods of vulnerability where you're like, okay, there's a human in here. There's this, uh, what a dynamic human character he is. And he, he displays the most resignation of any of the characters as well. Those scenes where he's kind of retreating into his own mind at the setting of his old house, mm -hmm. uh, where he's just, yeah, you're going to kill us all as he's like peeling the clothes off of six. Like I, we might as well bang until then. Like <laughs> this, it's going to happen. He, a lot of the other characters are very like forceful and, and will driven. And he's, he's very intelligent and I see a definite will in him and a, a push to survive. But there are moments from him that are just kind of like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. More so than anybody else. I feel like. Sure. Sure. Outstanding. Uh, there's some pretty interesting production notes about the episode 33 here. Uh, there was uh, two, this is taken from the battlestarwiki.org, which Matthew's forbidden to look at. Forbidden? To add realism to the sleep deprivation motif, Edward James Olmos enlisted the aid of a sleep deprivation expert 
and also curtailed his sleeping habits to three hours per night, Whoa. noting how it affected him. With the help of this expert, he relayed to the rest of the crew how deprivation affects the human body and mind. Additionally, director Michael Reimer told the actors to choose one symptom to play so as to avoid distracting repetition. Excellent, right? That is super fascinating. God, that makes me really respect James. Edward James almost is uh, dedication to the craft there. Dedication to the craft and a real handle on the character. You know, we've said this before on this show. Edward James almost is really Commander Adama to me. And he yeah. might even be to him when he's on the set. There is a, a realisticness to him and everyone else. The, the standout in this in something I want to talk about reflecting on this episode, what stands out to me is the actors and the way they are performing with these characters. The, the casting is outstanding. There are little moments that are so real to me that I cannot help but be drawn in emotionally to the story that is being told. And that's my initial impressions my initial impressions, which again, seen it before, but are this. God damn, I forgot how good this part of the show is. I know it's good. I know I like Gaius as a, as a character. He's interesting. I know I like all the characters. I, I remember all that stuff. I remember the writing being great. Yeah. But I'm really remembering now how well the performances are done in the small little things that they do to characterize each of these people to make them seem like real people. They have characterizations. They have things that they do that make you realize that they are all the actors. They are all bought into the characters here. They are, they're 100% into playing these people. And that yeah. really comes through to me. That's true. This episode, are. go ahead. I was going to say they're sold on the characters, you know, not only their motivations, but their flaws. They, they, yes. That's what they're seeking to understand. Yes. This episode won the 2005 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation in a Short Film. Wow. So it was very much recognized for how well it was. And uh, yeah, I got to tell you, it's a really good episode. These first couple episodes come out really strong. In fact, when season one premiered in the U.S., uh, this episode and the next one, I don't know if you know the titles. I'm not even going to tell you the titles. But this episode and the next one aired back-to-back -back as a two-hour event. Oh, okay. Wow. So they went from a miniseries to a double episode two-hour event. Yep. Damn. They repeated this in season three with a couple of episodes. Outstanding television, those. Can't wait to get to them. But Ooh. they did the same thing there, a couple of back-to-back uh, and they, I guess they had like a, like just like a black screen and the white letters for the episode titles in between. Nice. That's one thing I was going to say real quick too. You know, I guess we're seeing the, the now Battlestar Galactica title sequence that, that's going to pervade throughout the rest of the series. Um, as much as it's fine, I don't really have a problem with it. I kind of miss the stark, no real credit sequence at all. Just the yes. boom, boom, boom. And there's just <laughs> white Battlestar Galactica letters over the screen. Like that. Oh, that was so good. that was slick. Yeah, the last so good. the 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 second part of the miniseries, you just get Adama's back and then boom boom and the and it just comes oh, up cold, so very cold open. Very I love excellent. It. But uh yeah, we got a we got a few different characters, got things going on in this. More Ty, more Gata, Rosalind, Billy, Dwala, 
or D. And uh, of course, Lee and Starbuck. The Chief is a little underplayed in this one. Some some interesting things from Boomer that you thought might overshadow the episode, and they chose not to do that, which I like. Same. I I think that that's a great observation by you. The idea that we have this sleeper agent, that's not going to just become the focal point immediately, but that we're going to tease that there's something going on with her. Oh, yeah. There's something going on with her, and we're going to talk about that, which I'm looking forward to. Definitely. So before we get into explicating the scenes, should we talk about El Trivia Time? Oh, we should, because, hey, I'm not trying to toot my own horn a little too hard over here, but, whoo, back to back, nailed them. Back to back champs. Oh, baby. You did nail them. That feels good. If this is the first time you're tuning into a Battlestar Galactica episode on this podcast, we do a teaser question every week where I ask Matthew a question involving something in the next episode. Now, he has not looked ahead. He does not want to ruin the entire show for himself, so he's not doing that. And uh, it's a teaser. It acts as a teaser to entice his interest in the next episode. And uh, if this is your first time joining us, as I've just said, this is the second question we've done. Obviously, the first episode, there are no questions. Uh, So we started this on episode two, where I was asking about future... No, no, we started on episode one, where I was asking questions about potential future episodes. Uh, you know, and to, to recap thus far, we, the first question I asked Matthew, uh, which we, which was in episode one, I said, what is used as a weapon in the next episode of BSG? A flashlight, makeshift knife, stolen firearm. He guessed flashlight. So he guessed correctly. Uh, the bonus was who uses it. He guessed Starbuck, which is wrong. Of course it was a domino when he rearranged, uh, face. Ryan Gosling and drive. I like to think of it as (laughs) now this question, which I asked last week was, Pick the scenario that unfolds in the second part of the miniseries. Well, the questions, Mm -hmm. the answers were, the possible answers were, A, Gaius accuses a crew member, another crew member, of being a Cylon and gets the accused tossed into the brig. We know that's false. B, Rosalind makes a mistake that causes the loss of a civilian carrier, all hands, also Mm -hmm. false, although that was kind of a teaser for this one, wasn't it? It was. I slipped that one under the radar. Or C, a Cylon skin job murders another Cylon in defense of a crew member, and he guessed C. He also guessed that Boomer would be the one doing the killing, and he was right. Of course, that happens at the end of this episode where Caprica Boomer, which we're going to have to start calling her, oh, gotcha, kills six, a copy of six on Caprica, or Caprica six. Yeah. Boom, blows her away after she makes out with Hilo. And you're right, so great guess. Yay! Good oh, job. I mean, you you worked it out. You thought that guys wasn't going to use that trick again. Yeah, you, you a little too much. Yep. So yeah, you pieced together well. Thank you. I hope I. What can made keep you my think it was going to be Boomer though? Well, since it was, you know, I feel like that was the best way to address their cliffhanger from from the other mini, you know miniseries episode. That hey, we have we know our other skin job, and it's the first one that is in their midst. So there had to be some way they're going to use her. And at first, I, you know, I'm a little bit wrong in the sense that I thought it was going to be the boomer on board their ship. I know you did. To, I know, yeah, I know exactly. for sure you thought that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I thought she was going to kill somebody totally still in the belief of she is thinking who she is, right. uh, has no idea that she's a Cylon herself. And she was just going to be unwittingly killing another Cylon out of protection. No idea that it was actually an entirely separate one being used to trick Hilo, basically. Awesome. 
Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I will ask you an episode, uh, a teaser question at the end of this podcast, but stay tuned for that. Let's hop right to it. Let's. All right, man. So this episode starts off with a great close-up of Guy's Baltar's face. That's the, right, or we get the clock. Well, I think we get his face first, something like that. And it's really close up on his eyes. His mouth is not even in the shot. No. Um, and the first thing we learn is, is that the crew hasn't slept in a while. 130.5 hours to be exact. Brutal. Jesus. Yeah. Brutal. I do love how when this episode opens on Gaius, the ticking clock. Yeah. It's nerve wracking immediately. Yes, that is another great motif of this episode of the, the constant reference back to the clocks. Like, and that was one the biggest thought I kept having throughout this of how I, I can't think of any real world. I mean, maybe there has. I'm sure somebody you know, soldiers who've been in combat have maybe run across situations like this. But trying to imagine a scenario where your your entire idea for strategy or any tactics or maneuvers you're going to do are limited to this very precise little box. You have thirty minute, thirty three minutes to think of it. Uh, organize it, implement it, and then you have to go ahead and just execute it, and then you have to start over again, basically. And it just boxes out all strategy to this really tiny, hard-to-work-with window that would just be so frustrating, I imagine, as a you know a general or a tactician in a war. I mean, because normally you're thinking of you, – you have this – open sprawl of time that you're actually trying to figure out how to better put into a box. But now the opposite has happened and you are dealing with the most microscopic little points of time that allow you no rest, you know, no respite, no time to regroup or rethink or, or decide, uh, even make a different decision. You can't change midstream here at all. You have such a small time frame that would just be frustrating in and of itself, you know, not even considering the physical exhaustion of it all. Right. The other thing I like about this, tactic by the Cylons is it's very machine-like in its tactical implementation against human beings who require sleep. Exactly. Even like Callie says on the, you know, in the, the, the crew bay, you know, of like, why do they pick 33 minutes? Why is it not 34, 35? Like it doesn't matter to the Cylons. They're not even thinking about it that way. It's just, that is their chosen increment of time. Yes. And you know, you can think about science fiction a lot and you can think about things like how do machine conflicts with man usually manifest themselves? What is, Matthew, pick, sure. pick, a, pick something that you have to worry about when machine meets flesh. <laughs> when machine meets flesh. Think about flesh. any science fiction where man so, is pitted against robot. Robot. <laughs> and tell me, typically, what's the first thing that leaps to mind when you think of that conflict? Mm, my soft, spongy human meat being crushed by icy steel. Correct. There the first are. thing you think of is that. The second thing might be bullets don't hurt it. I'm thinking Terminator. Yeah, exactly. Right? It comes after you. What are some other things? Well, well, for one, yeah, they don't get exhausted. And sure. they don't. They don't need air. They can survive other environments that we can't. They can, sure. Know, kicking, yep. I'm sure kicking a centurion into the vacuum of space uh, doesn't do much to it. Excellent. Now, you just said they don't get exhausted. True. We think of that in the short term, though, when we think science fiction, don't we? We typically think, okay, if I get in a hand-to-hand with it, it's not going to fucking tire out. True. We don't think of it on this scale. Some other things that we think of, strong. How about this? 
they have no hesitation. Yes. They have no moral implication about destroying an entire building if it means killing you. Ooh, one thing that jumps to mind, instantaneous communication across all forms. Boom. I mean, there is no, oh, I've got the order. I want to send it out. I have to radio it to this person who radios it to these people who radios it you know, to their squadron. No, boom. The moment the hive mind or mother computer, whatever the hell they have in charge of them, even processes, internally thinks of a command, it can issue it in the same microsecond. Reaction Everybody knows time. what's going on. Oh, yeah. Reaction time Reaction is time. instantaneous. Instantaneous. Their readiness reports must be wonderful. <laughs> Seriously. S- some yeah. other things that we might think of is, is that they they will not be broken. You you can't break their ranks. You yeah, can't hit will. them. You can't dump a mortar on them and, and, and think, oh, fuck. Now they're going to break. They're going to run. Yes, we got them on the run. They're fruit-shooting. The other thing you can't, that you, that's not going to happen, you can't wound them and they're going to pull back and drag their wounded around. You don't wound one guy and slow down the whole platoon, right? Exactly. They just leave them behind. They don't care. But my point is in this little exercise we've just done, and there's probably tons we're missing, I'm sure, is this. <laughs> never seen this before. I've no. never seen a, a space, a science fiction program where you're being run ragged in space. It's such a unique and smart writing tool, the random 33 element, the precision for them to jump. They jump better. They have better FTL than you. They jump oh, yeah. better. One of the production notes you might not be aware of, aware of is that the civilian FTL drives are not designed to do this. So they, they're, they're more faulty. That's why they lose a ship. They're not oh, as good okay. at this. The military vessels have a better FTL capability. And I can assure you, the Cylons have even better. They're machines. They're more precise. They don't get tired like Duala and make a mistake and go, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. But that's what's so great about this. You know, you could, it's easy to be like, oh, he throws them across the room. And, you know, we see Leoben throw, what's his name, across the room. We go, okay, they're strong. But this is the kind of menace that I love. We already know they have overwhelming numbers. They've made that clear. You all, the the, the Galactica runs every time. They run every time. They retreat. Every time the base star shows up and the Raiders launch, they're out. They, they can't fight them. They can't stick around and fight these overwhelming numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not even a choice. It's not part of their decision-making. Like that's, that's the other part of the boxing in element I think is so scary is that they're so overwhelmed and they have such little time, they can't even think of a way to leverage their smaller size right. or figure out how their weapons can penetrate. No, like they are – they don't have any other choice but to run. It forces it, – it limits their, their choices so It's much. so fascinating. It's such a it's such a good use of the machine factor in the conflict. Yes. We know yeah. machines are relentless. We know they will not stop ever until you are dead. <laughs> right? We know all that. But to yeah. see this machine conscious implemented in this way and the advantages it has is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. And again, we've talked a little bit about this, you know, about the primal warfare aspect of the show, that that beautiful juxtaposition of putting high-tech warfare in space, but that ancient war drum feel where there's debris clattering around on things. It feels much more tangible and physical than a lot of other, you know, sci-fi action. Sure. Uh, and that continues on in this with that. It's such a an, you know we're talking about bodies breaking down. We're talking about people with bags under their eyes, sweating, just falling asleep and tired. It's it's so physical. It's so human. It really has that same kind of like attrition warfare that you would you know imagine in like the Trojan War, but this sure. is in space. Yep, trench warfare. I love that contrast. It's excellent. 
the series of quick cuts are great. Are great. Back to the opening shot of Gaius. If you look closely at that shot, the ticking clock. Half his face is in shadow. Half is in the light. Interesting that we're going to kind of rap on this idea, aren't we? In a certain point of view, it's almost like a metaphor for this Gaius journey with God and repenting, etc. And that's something we're going to talk about as we go through this. But I like the the opening of this episode, ticking clock, close up of Gaius, vipers being launched, the the the, the famed drums, unkempt oh, yeah. pilots, fatigue, FTL jumps, Gaius looking out his window on the CIC. We got people falling asleep, fatigue, clicking uh, 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 clicking noises on the clock, the Dratus back to Gaius, and that's when we get a little break in the series of quick cuts. Great editing, by the way. Oh yeah, where. Six says, God has a plan for you, Gaius, a plan for everything and everyone. Uh, we shoot over to the Colonial One. We see Roslyn working, Gaius attempting to sleep. So he's sitting there trying to close his eyes. More visions. You have to believe in something. Gaius believes in a rational universe explained by rational means. And then she says, I love you. That's not rational. And he says, I agree, but you're not rational. Mm-hmm. Boom. He wakes up on Colonial One, obviously Six, not too happy with that. And you see that a little bit in this. You see you see some of that, okay, smartass. <laughs> she's, right? Yeah, she's coming back at him a lot harder this time around. Absolutely. So that's this open. It is frantic almost immediately. You, I don't know about you, Matthew, but when I look at the crew, I feel tired. Yes. Yeah. No, I, again, that is, that is such a well-handled aspect of this episode is that everybody looks Beyond exhausted. I mean, people are literally nodding off, you know, and they're, they're yeah. trying so hard to stay awake. There's not a person aboard that doesn't have bags under their eyes. It's totally visceral. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, Callie wonders why the Cylons come every 33 minutes. And then Dee reports that 10 ships in the fleet are having FTL trouble. Adama remarks, we're getting slower. That's it. There because is they're a having finality. to wait for civilian ships. Yeah. Yes, there's a finality in his tone. I love this. He's a, he, when Adama speaks, it's so serious all the time. I know you can't blame him. And, and I, and I like the way you said that the finality, it, it, it does sound as if he's like imagining, you know, yes. a fucking, a herd of gazelles getting pursued by lions until they're just getting too tired to run. And right. eventually you're going to get eight. That's it. Boom. A base star jumps in. Dreda's contact. We go over to the colonial one. Like it's the message. Look, the Cylons are back again. And then Gaius is like five days now. There are limits to the human body and the human mind. <laughs> He's stressing the fuck out. Oh, absolutely. Everyone has their limits, he says. And then, you know, Ty, he's, he's slapping people awake. He's handling it strong. He's strong in this episode. Oh, yeah. His, his warrior spirit comes out. Uh, and then the Galactica offers up some cover for the jumps. The Vipers do a quick engage. Jump prep ready. Combat landings. Execute jump. Boom. We execute exactly. jump. And we get the sense right away, you know, that this, the Vipers, you know, job and all this is very patterned out at this point too. You're not looking to gun down all the Cylon ships you can. You're not looking to get into a lot of engagements. You're looking to pop off a few shots, get their attention, get their fire as much away from the civilian ships as possible so that they can jump and that's it. And then combat land as fast as possible back on board the Battlestar. Combat landings, banging up the fucking deck, pissing off the chief. (laughs) He owes me a wing. (laughs) Jump 237 complete. Oof. And then Ty just says, start the clock. 
Oh, that that is so beautiful. Like that could have been a line that is not set on screen where there's like we just in the next scene, it's like, all right, yeah, the clocks are running again. But the fact that they even choose to focus on that line, start the clocks again, it just it, it has that feeling of just, you know, it, it's like the fucking Jean-Paul Sartre play, like no exit. Like this is it. This is this is doom. Like you are going to be in this forever. Yeah, uh, it's you so, know what I thought of so dooming. I thought of uh, the film Miracle. Did you ever see it? Oh, the hockey team movie. No, I yeah, did you did not. So there's a uh, there's a pretty intense scene in that movie where he's drilling them hard, and he's he's saying, "Listen, you know they're gonna they might be bigger and stronger, but they're not gonna they're not gonna they're gonna get tired. We're not gonna get tired. That's it. We're gonna we're gonna play hard with, with endurance. Yeah, and that's it." And he just, and it's brutal. So he's got him, he's got him doing, you know, kind of go-go's, which is come up, come back. So they say, boom, stop, come back. And he goes again, boom, they blow the whistle up, back again, boom, blow the whistle up, back again, blow. Dude, it's fucking insane. The scene. And it made me think <laughs> of it when, when Ty's just like, start it again, start yep. it again. And, and in, the, in that film miracle, like the arena guys are like, they start shutting the lights off. They're like, we're fucking going home. And the kids are <laughs> dying. And he's Ugh. like, again, again. And you're like, oh, brutal. It's so brutal. But that's what it made me think of, uh, you know, and, you know, just, this is just the, uh, the human in spirit to endure this punishment to just continue. And if anyone's going to say, start the clock, it's Ty, right? Yeah. It's absolutely. such a tie. Like, I don't, Ty's the kind of guy where you're like, you know how people say shit like, let's make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah. guys, I got some lemons. Going to make some lemonade. Ty's like, fuck you. Give me more lemons. You know? <laughs> Not he, only that, he reminds me more. I feel like he would uh, have the same words as that commander in Full Metal Jacket of, it, in other words, people, it's one giant shit sandwich and we all got to take a bite. That's right. <laughs> like, that's just right. take your bite and chew it up and say, thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> Absolutely. So 33 minutes and counting, the deck crew are hurting. Everyone is tired. The establishing shots make that clear. Back on the Colonial One, Gaius has a nice vision of Six's back. What a back on this woman. Oh, I know. The way the light hits it, the tiny little hairs. And again, on my second watch of this episode, I really noticed I, I gravitated way much more to Six in this episode in the sense of even the little comments she makes throughout as if this is all part of some larger Cylon effort having Mm. to do with Gaius. Like there's something going on here where, you know, she's saying God's keeping you alive, this and that. And he, there's this five days and he's saying there's limits, you know, there's only so much the body, human body can take. And what do we have in this scene? Him relenting to her for the first time since the very first episode, because after it's revealed, she's a Cylon and she, she, you know, manipulated him into getting Caprica destroyed. He kind of hates her. He, he, he rebuffs her a lot. Sure. He's like, he's pissed that she's still in his mind. He hates it. He doesn't want anything to do with her. And then we see him in the scene, fucking sucking neck, pulling open the bed. He's like, yeah, you're going to kill us all. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm ready to at least enjoy that sweet Cylon body. Indeed. Like, he's relenting. And that feels very much of a purpose to her. Yes. It's, it's six. If six has a plan, if, there is some kind of God and six has a plan and Gaius is the subject of her plan. Yeah. Knowing Gaius, knowing that he's a poon hound, right? (laughs) A rich, brilliant, handsome, charming man, right? Yeah. He's, this is the perfect foil for him because 
there's this biological imperative to procreate with a person like six. I mean, look at her. Oh, yeah. She's a, a, a six-foot-tall statuesque, like, genetic jackpot. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, like and, we were saying, just a, just the view of her shoulder blades, <laughs> like right, everything. Right. It's all great, right? And that's that's the, the, in the in the and, and I'm not even trying to be corny here, but there's she is a just a beautiful head to toe person, like just, absolutely. And and that's in guys, in the context of this show, that feels like yes. a calculated effort on the silence right. part because everything else. I'm not saying they're not pretty people in the show. Of course, it's a TV show; they're all going to be pretty. But <laughs> yeah. we have we, we she is a contrast against the hard broken people all the time all of the visions where guys is feeling on top of the world are on this lakefront property with her and you know she's going after him and and i like how there is this resentment he has towards her but at the same time he can't help but relent because he truly feels alone in a weird way that's his only companion yeah and she seems to say and and when you get desperate enough man this is classic brainwashing. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying if it were to be, he's singled out, he's alone, he's feeling guilty, and you just keep pushing and pushing. You know, it's exactly. like a goddamn cult. You use the hot ones to yes. rein them in, right? It's it's this weird kind of breaking down of of the guy Spaltar character who's already feeling alone and isolated and concerned exactly. about his treachery. It's exactly and that's exactly it. It's not that he's actually alone. It's that he is the only one who knows the truth about himself other than her. So he is in all – for all intents and purposes alone amongst everyone else other than her. Yes. And that relentless – you know, at first it seems strange and overbearing the way that she's like, come back to me, guys. I love y'all and have kids with you, blah, blah, And he's just like, oh my god, you're a monster. You had me commit genocide. Get the right. hell away from me. Right. But as time goes on, this is the only person willing to embrace you, willing to accept the fact and the truth about you, and not to mention she's absolutely gorgeous. You start to relent. We're seeing him fold. Right, right, absolutely. We got an opening credit sequence that was new for you. Yeah, I hadn't seen that before. We already discussed that though. But so now we get a little exterior on the fleet. We learn about the 130 hours without sleep, which is Ooh. outrageous, insane, yeah. outrageous. Tell me, I can't Matthew. remember the exact. Oh, go ahead. How many hours have you stayed up? Uh, what's your What's your max? I have gone. <laughs> I remember very clearly in college about this. Uh, finishing, I think, a twenty page essay for for a class. I think I stayed up from. Okay, so I woke up on a Wednesday morning. Did not go back to sleep until like maybe Friday at eleven o'clock at night. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is baller. If I'm being 100% honest, maybe I laid down and napped for an hour in there, but the rest of it was five-hour energies and Jesus on my side, keeping me alive. Strong. (laughs) I think I've only ever done about 30-some-odd hours, and it was brutal. And I was a kid. I might have been 15, 16 we were staying at our friend's house. We wanted to stay. We were playing role-playing games and Marvel and all the stupid shit. And we were going to like, we're staying up all night. This is the most fun ever. A bunch of kids, nobody around, a fucking house to ourselves, a pool oh, outside, yeah. Florida, you know? Who cares about girls? Video games, baby! Dude, 15, 16 years old, right? No broads around on this particular uh, <laughs> afternoon. Uh, and uh, my, my friend, my other friend, stayed up even later. I mean, he was up for fucking... Maybe two days? Jesus. I don't remember. But I remember when he told me he went to sleep. I think he said he slept for 18 hours. 
<laughs> I'll never forget the loopy odd feeling. Now I and and I was in and I was enjoying myself. I can't imagine going through the stress of the end of the human race and yeah. flying a goddamn viper on this shit. I mean, it was nuts. Oh. And uh, I remember I was like, wow. But I am a very big baby with my sleep. <laughs> I hate my sleep being broken or interrupted because I think sleep is crucial. It is. Um, I have learned that the older I've gotten, I require a little less. I can do six in a pinch. Seven will do me. And sometimes, sometimes eight's a little too much. Um, seven, if I go to bed early, I'll wake up early. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But that's where I was. I do know that in the military, they do... Um, I knew this guy I used to work with him at the bookstore. And he told me about, uh, for Marine basic training, they have this thing called the crucible. And it's this X amount of time where you're in this, you know, the, the SEALs do it too, this, uh, this training. But it's sleep deprivation. It's designed to push you to the limits. They wake you up at night, they come in, they wake you up again. And, it's, and they wake you up again. And then they're like, all right, we're going to do this. The only way you can succeed is if you all work together. If you don't, you can't overcome the obstacle. And then you overcome. They're like, all right, you can get some shut eye. Then boom, they wake you up. So, you know, in the military, you're trained for this, but you can yeah. only be trained so much for it unless you're all, I mean, it's like any training in anything, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you don't I continuously can't... train at something, the training's great and it helps, but then it kind of goes, it's hard to train your body to be like, oh, I don't have to sleep because that's just not the way the body works, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's, and that's in, the thing. I, it's brutal. I can't, I know. And, and I, I can't remember the exact amount of days. I used to know it, but I mean, you're talking in the range of six to eight days with no sleep, but we're talking unblinkingly awake for that amount of time. I mean, that that has been recorded as like, you will be having hallucinations. You will be having full-blown oh, schizophrenic episodes. After, after a day. after Dude, after a day, I was like, it, you, you start to feel like, there's a great description in Fight Club where uh, Ed Norton says, Everything feels like a copy of a copy of a copy. It's exactly uh, yeah. how, how I feel. You almost feel like you're, you're next to yourself observing everything happening. There's this weird zone out. Like you can't focus oh, yeah. on anything. Oh, my biggest, my clearest memory of realizing, because I, I, I did pretty well through that. Through when I had to write that paper, I stayed up all that time. I, I handled it. I managed it. I, you know, I laid down a couple of times didn't fall asleep, but, you know, kind of rested, kind of did it well. But on Friday, on my way home from the class, I'd be like, okay, God, I can finally go to bed tonight. Uh, you know, I remember running into somebody, bumping into a friend and they were talking to me and telling me about something. And I, I just kind of nodded my way through it. And as I walked away from them, I remember being like, I could not tell you a single word they told me. <laughs> Nothing. It bounced all off of me. Like they could have just come up and said, Oh, hey, yeah, that paper you did, I actually stole it and turned it in myself, and you're not gonna get any credit. I'd have been like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Like nothing. I mean, I couldn't process anything anymore. <laughs> Ugh. Wow. Yeah, it's bad. Yep. According to the Scientific American, there are soldiers who reported staying up for three, four days during battle. I know this was a thing in the battle, the bulge, I think. Yes, that was a big one for that. Especially it's so fucking cold, you can't sleep. Um, and, uh, apparently a, a young man named Randy Gardner in 1965, 17 years old, set a, a record in sleep depth. He went 10 days in carefully monitored experiments. And apparently that's wow. the record. I don't know if that's still true, but this is on a cursory glance at Wikipedia. I'm not doing a lot. Uh, our Google. Wow. I just typed how Damn. long, can, how long can, how long can you go? Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is something that I wonder about, but I do like the way. 
we see this effect in the crew. I do. I think that is, uh, that's really fascinating. So yeah, you got me beat yeah. in sleep debt, pal. <laughs> I don't ever plan on doing it again. That's for I sure. read, uh, I read somewhere once, uh, sleep fascinates me. The need for sleep dreams. That's all fascinating to me. And this will be the end of my sleep tangent, but here it is. There was a, there was an experiment I was reading about in a book years ago. when I worked in a bookstore, probably late nineties about this guy who was on a table with the little things that keep your eyes open. Oh, like they, yeah. uh, you know, the Clock old clockwork orange. orange thing. <laughs> yeah. They've shown me images in me, governor. And um, <laughs> they, the guy was to depress a trigger every time he saw this flash of light. And uh, they just, and he hadn't, he hadn't slept in, I want to say two days maybe. And uh, he, he didn't push it a couple times. And they recorded him as being asleep with his eyes open. Oh. Pretty wild. And I was Whoa. like, damn, man. The body just is like, fuck you. You're going to bed. <laughs> you're going to sleep. <laughs> We're going to close your pupils. You're done. Pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. Sleep, sleep, sleep depth raises stress. I mean, it makes you, you're just, it just mangles all of your higher functions. It's brutal. Oh, yeah. And you I feel know. it in this. I'm telling you, when I'm watching this episode, I'm like, oh, I just want to take a nap. Got to get to bed after this. Yeah. <laughs> so Dom is shaving. He wants to try something new this time. Divide the fleet into six groups. Jump two more times on the fourth jump. We're going to set a coordinate. So they have this idea that they want to cook up. That never ends up coming to fruition, but he's trying. He's trying. Yeah. That There's got to be some way. And of course, the way, why does that not end up happening? We didn't have enough time to implement it in this cycle. They're constantly having to, any plans they come up with, Okay, we finally have a plan that we're going to do. We're still going to have to wait till next cycle to actually do it. We have five minutes left, you know, whatever is going it. on. That's it. It's just uh, so limited constantly. In the pilot's ready room, Lee is briefing the pilots. <laughs> this is a good scene. Oh, they are all nodding out. Starbucks looks awful. They've done this 237 times. Can you imagine? Oh, uh, no. No. I mean, it, it, this is truly one of those things where I'm like, oh, wow, I can't even, you know, I can't even come up with like a hypothetical scenario of like imagining how this would feel. Because that is that rep- that just sheer repetition of an activity. I don't think I've ever done anything that many times. I mean, and especially in a back to back to back to back kind of way. Right. And I love how, you know, he's saying, all right, check your undersides. And then he just stops. Okay. We've done this 237 yes. times. You know what to do. Right. What do we even have to say? Come on. Just stay safe. <laughs> it's excellent. And on the deck, we see the chief doing his things. He's correcting Callie's mistake. And uh, he says, you know, we're going to sleep when we're dead. He's handling it pretty well. He is. He's definitely one of the, the better chipper people. Uh, we have racetrack and boomer uh, chit-chatting. Not racetrack, crashdown. Sorry. Crashdown, who I did have to look this guy up because I recognized him immediately. Sam Witwer, if anybody else has played the video game, yep. Force Unleashed, that's Starkiller. That's our boy. Sure is. That's Good who eye. I know him from. Anytime I see him anywhere else. And also the Being Human show he was on. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, every time I see that face, oh shit, Starkiller. So, and this is something you might not realize, but Crashdown, like Hilo, is an ECO, an Electronic Countermeasures Officer. Uh, they handle the countermeasures... Uh, for electronic stuff on the Raptors, uh, any of the countermeasure suites that they employ to uh, help mask the fleet, etc. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Yep. So obviously course, an, o- an officer rank. I mean, they're all yeah. officers at this point, with the exception of the chief and the deck crew. Yeah. I like his very first line in the scene to Boomer. Hey, Boomer, you hear Cylons look like us now? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, the irony is pretty thick here. Oh, it's great. It's great. Oof. 
But then, of course, he talks then about how, yeah, so they said uh, Halo got left down there because he was suspected of being a Cylon. Yeah, she snaps at him. Oh, yeah, Obviously, she hasn't slept either, although we don't know. We're not sure if this is affecting her. That that aspect, sure, but I do I do buy that emotionally she is still raw Absolutely. about about Hilo, and she's like basically just fuck off, like don't that's don't even talk to me about this. And even when the chief comes in right after it, she's pretty pretty short with him too. He is her new ECO. Um, the chief tries to console her, and she snaps at him too. He's like, "All right, I'm out of here." She obviously yeah. doesn't want to be talked to I'm right sorry. now. Sorry. <laughs> D asks so Sinus, as he's been come to know about her missing family members. It's like a registry of tragedy. <laughs> you know, this is very Memorial Wall 9-11 inspired shit here. Yeah, this is some dark, dark shit. Again, we're seeing how, how heavy this is weighing on everybody. The, there's a, there's a, a real heavy shot when we see all the pins and, the, and how many people we're actually dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And of course, and these are probably a lot of people who are not, you know, not that they've lost in the fleet so far, but just people's posting of their pictures from people back home on Caprica and just everywhere. The, the besieged no... planets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the nuclear winter planets. <laughs> you know, and there's just no way to mourn them, no time to mourn them. This is like, this is as good as it gets for them. This is as close to a funeral or a graveyard as they have. And sadly, there's still a lot of hope there. I mean, maybe not, maybe not sadly, but... You have to imagine that a planet's a pretty big place. Is it possible that everyone is dead on these planets? You you have to be holding out hope, like D is doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, if that wall might not all just be, oh, I know they're dead or not, but just these are the people in everybody's thoughts. These are the ones they maybe have for sure lost, or think they may have lost, or barely holding on to that thread of hope. Sure. Oof. On the Colonial One, Billy updates the president on the head count. Oh man, <laughs> again, really drilling down on those numbers. And he brings up that, yeah, 300 more gone. This episode is tough. I oh, mean, yeah. it's the humans really get a beat down. Oh, yeah. And no. you, you, you feel that way the entire episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Which it's important. And we'll get there when we get to it. But it's important, I think, that the episode ends the way it does. Yes. Yes, Gotta absolutely. Have a, bone. a little up Gotta have a bone. Uh, according to uh, some of the notes on the uh, Battlestar Wiki page, I guess. Edward James almost had uh, this remark when they were uh, when they're talking later when the three of them are walking in the hallway. He meant something about you know there's also ten suicides. He ad libs that, but they ended up cutting it even though they liked it because they're like we don't know if the network's going to like that. Pretty, oh yeah, yep. And they played it safe. Played it safe, them bitches. Damn, and that makes sense. That's a very that's a very believable idea. That that sure. has got to be happening. <laughs> I mean, there's no sleep way. Sleep deprivation, stress, all that shit. And just the loss of, oh, my, I, hey, I'm the last person of my wife and family. They're, they're all gone. Great. I, I'm done. <laughs> what, what else do I have? That's got to be going on. It's at this point in the episode where you start to realize that there's the fear up until this moment in the episode has been if they make a mistake, they're going to die. Yeah. But then you realize they could make mistakes and lose shitloads of people off camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Like the whole time you're worried about the Galactica not making the jump, screwing up. But then you start to realize, oh, but all the other ships too. And that's where this scene with the Colonial One really opens up the door to that possibility. Exactly. This show does a good job of murdering these people off camera and making you feel something for them because of the desperation involved. The whiteboard is such a good idea. I was just going to say, you know, at, at first you would think of that as almost the most dehumanizing thing of just boiling down two numbers on a board. But to actually have the president herself personally 
ta- keeping tally of those numbers and reducing them as they go and having that number sitting there above them all is really a powerful image. And yeah, we see her take it down to now they are less than 50,000 officially, 49,998 human beings. This is something I thought about before when I watched this a few years ago, but I thought to myself, don't let any uh, don't let any uh, deckhands slip in and, and see the number dwindling. You know, <laughs> part of <laughs> me feels like that could true. definitely be a morale killer, and you want to keep that to the cabinet members and not yeah. be like attention, uh, attention, all hands, attention, all hands. <laughs> New we update are, to the tally. <laughs> we have lost three hundred forty-seven souls. Excellent. We are dwindling away as a race and facing oblivion. Thank you. Don't forget <laughs> to thank your uh, line officer for the uh, foodstuffs. You and know. boy, if you believe in any form of six degrees of separation, all of you most certainly knew at least one of those people. Have a great night. My <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. Spool up the FTLs and fold your hands. Hope <laughs> everything goes well. Bye. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want children, Gaius? <laughs> what? I love it. No. <laughs> He's like, let me think about that for a minute. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does she say? God mandates it wants us to have a child. This what? is sounding like a familiar God, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, get a little Old Testament up in here. Be fruitful. Guys makes uh, a baby toaster joke and six don't like that. Mm-mm. And what's She's the still... very next thing that happens? In this scene, in their conversation? Right after he makes that joke, she gets kind of pissed off. And then we cut right to Billy saying something about a Dr. Amarak. That's true. Yeah. That wakes him up out of their little conversation because that's one thing I also really like about uh, the way they portray Gaius in this episode is that every time, you know, she's there and talking to him, he's having to balance that conversation with her and realize that he can't speak with her without speaking out loud and looking like a lunatic in front of everyone. And it's just that added level of stress, that that public shame of being a weirdo. But yeah, that the mere mention of his name brings him out of their little talk, out of their little fantasy world. And Boom. he's like, whoa, 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 what, Amarak? Like he is already, what we come to learn, of course, is that he is the other scientist involved in his program right. who was suspicious of him the entire time. And now he wants to speak with the president directly and only the president. And, and he Six knows. taunts him about a certain uh-huh. traitor, she says. Mm-hmm. And Boy. she's saying, oh, we always thought he might be on to us. <laughs> always thought. And then she uh. turns from him. And this is an important part of the mind fuckery we're talking about, which is six says, I'd say you have a serious problem. And she just walks away. Yeah. And he goes mm-hmm. after her. And then the president and Billy kind of call him strange. They're like, he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, he's just so shifty, you know? And especially the way this is shot to this episode, more so than the last, even, you know, guys is constantly seen as in the dark. I mean, he is literally bathed without very much light. He, yep. he's, he looks grimy and in the dark. And even when she's standing right next to him, Six looks totally glowing and, and covered in light. And that is another strange aspect of this because she's most certainly the villain. But I think this is how Gaius is beginning to see her himself. Yes, I completely agree with you. That's a really good observation. This scene ends... And we move over to Cylon-occupied Caprica Day 6. This is the biggest surprise of the episode to me. Absolutely. Could not have called this from a million miles away. Uh, There was a vague sense in the back of my head that maybe this Hilo guy 
maybe would be alive or would come back in some way. Like, oh, maybe we find out he was, they have teleportation technology and the Cylons have captured him by teleporting him off the planet. I thought the planet itself was going to be a, you know, Twilight Zone episode. Now there's finally time to read my books. Like everything is a hellscape. There's, it's gone. There's no forests. There's nothing. I, I expected an absolute complete barren wasteland and to see a you know, pouring rain, Rambo first blood forest while Hilo is just charging through. This blew me away. Biggest yeah. twist for me. Absolutely. And what we'll do here is we'll just run through the entire uh, Hilo piece. Yeah, let's do it. So Cylon occupied Caprica, day mm-hmm. six. The rain, obviously the weather's being affected by the clouds, mushroom clouds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He this flees. Is, this <laughs> is, I would call, toxic rain, most likely. Absolutely. Guerrilla warfare, right? Leading these centurions into an explosion trap. He oh, finishes yeah. off the second with a few shots to a, the head, to its head. He's feeling some anger. He then <laughs> I would say. slams up against a tree. He pumps some anti-radments into his neck. Ooh, that oh, was brutal. brutal. I know. Fuck. He's just dying of, of radiation. I can't imagine how awful that must feel. And yeah, just has to syringe it right into his neck. Yeah. This guy's like, fuck, I thought the K-19 Widowmaker was bad. <laughs> I know. At least they had suits, sort of. He then sees Six standing in a nice white jacket, just observing him from afar. Yeah. And he draws down on her. Yeah. No, that's the one that I, there was no, and I like this about him, uh, that there was no, oh, another human. Like, he sees her in her pristine white outfits just standing there looking at him, and he knows, ooh, this is fucked. Something's, Something's wrong. wrong. And he has his gun trained on her while a centurion comes up behind him and unfolds its gun arm. And he surrenders, doesn't he? He does, because he's not an idiot. Yep. And then that, and then we, and then we get a long break here, and then we get over to six speaking with him. <laughs> what does she say? Her famous now first line from the very first episode, are you alive? And then she drinks deeply of Hilo's lips. Drinks so deeply of his mana. Oh my God. <laughs> that woman loves to kiss. And then boom, she gets shot by none other than who? Our girl Boomer. Oh yes. And he's saying, I can't, what are you doing here? You know, I, I, how you're alive. And she's, just shuts him up. Just uh, don't worry about it. We got to get out of here. What's and running through your head at this point? At this point, I'm thinking, okay, so this is a different boomer. This is, you know, obviously the same model, but this is a different boomer. They have employed to, you know, they kill off. It could, because right after this, once they run away, we see another identical six, same outfit even, step out with a centurion and watch them go. So what this is, is them capturing him and they're going to use her to, Open him up to interrogate him without interrogating him. Get the information they need. Probably get probable coordinates they think that the Battlestar might be headed towards something. They're, they're going to use her to get information out of him. And this is just another copy of that Boomer model that they have down on Caprica now. So we're talking an elaborate setup where oh, yeah. Caprica Boomer shows up, blows away six, Mm-hmm. Says, come on, mister, let's move. He's like, Sharon? Like, his response is so great. Yeah. They run off together, and we see the other six in the centurion just watching them flee while six smiles. She smirks. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what I mean, she could tell the, the centurion to gun them down as they're running away. They're not more than 20 yards away. Oh, yeah. No, this is, a, this is all in their plan. This is exactly the way they wanted this to play out. And Caprica Boomer, you're telling me, is part of that. No, she's part of that plan. 
Oh, yeah. No, this model, because, you know, even the model we saw at the end of the miniseries, uh, she came out and said, you know, I know where they're going or I can get their information. I can't remember. But she steps out and is very much involved. And, you know, it's interesting because they must have models that are awake and in tune with the Cylons and their their plans. And then they have those sleeper ones, which they have totally disconnected from, you know, Cylons and have probably implanted with memories in some way. And made to think that they're real. And they themselves believe they are real. Um, it's not like a, a human sleeper cell like we imagine from you know, 1980s you know, Red Scare Soviet movies where the person knows they're an agent and they're just pretending. And then they get their activation code and they, they shed their pretend uh, life and go to attack or whatever. The Cylons have the, the ability of by being robots – to fully have their memories, I guess, wiped, and they they think they're a human being, and only when they are activated do they go back into contact with the other Cylons and realize they are a Cylon and accept their mission and start doing stuff. Um, so yeah, the Boomer, the Boomer on on board the Battlestar, we'll I call still her believe Galactica Boomer, Galactica Boomer. Boy, what a roller derby name that would be, Galactica <laughs> Boomer. Some, there's got to be a roller derby woman out there using that. Anyways, but yeah, she – there is no doubt in my mind that she very much is Sharon, you know, Boomer in her mind. She, she believes she's this person. That is who she is. She does still feel emotions for people. She is very much, you know, in a relationship with the chief and cares about these people because she thinks she's a human being. This is a different Boomer model that is very aware that she's a Cylon and is just pretending to inhabit the same Boomer uh, from the Battlestar. So you're telling me that Galactica Boomer is totally clueless as to her nature at this point. Totally clueless. That's what I believe. I like your style. There we are. Moving right along, we're going to go back. Now yeah. that we've covered the very last shot of the episode. <laughs> yeah, the last shot of the episode. That's okay because we got a lot to talk about at the end of oh, uh, yeah. the Olympic carrier stuff. is pretty wild. It's excellent. So where are we in my notes here? Okay. Detai and Adama walk the halls. The medical condition of the crew isn't good. Nervous exhaustion. He orders the pilots to take stims. What do you think of that? I I was surprised by that. I but it does seem like a very pragmatic thinking, you know, where there is no, you know, in that sense, you know, the morality or the ethics of taking drugs in this, you know, are overwritten by by necessity. And I or, or forcing people to take drugs anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. But it, it's something where I'm like, well, I get it. Uh, but then you know he goes on to say. Let's go ahead and have one out of every three pilots be cycled out for, for sleep and, and yep. one out of every three, every other cycle. Uh, so they're trying to get actual sleep in there for them. And so I, I see his thinking because, you know, he's like, okay, the drugs are not a, an answer. They're a stopgap measure. They're just sure. – this is something for our pilots who have not been cycled out for rest to keep them on the, on the ready for that last little bit. And then what do you think of Ty's little nod to Adama? Oh, that he uh, that he's suspicious. You mean of, of no, no, his no. order? No, this this is the moment, and I should have clarified. I apologize. Where Adam is like, whose turn is it? Yours or mine? And Ty's like, it's you. I had the last one, even though he didn't. <laughs> yeah, Ty's hooking right. him up. He's letting them. He's letting him sleep. He's taking. He's taking one for Adama. That's right. Yeah, and, the old and, man's so tired he can't even remember it's his turn. And then D's D D reminds him. She's like, it was actually your turn. He's like, oh, I know. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that says a lot. Think about this for a minute. Oh yeah. The only Everybody's thing anybody wants to do right now is sleep. That's the most desired thing right now is sleep. Mm-hmm. Outside Absolutely. of death. You don't want to die. You don't <laughs> yeah. want to die. Everybody doesn't want to die. But then it's sleep, especially at this point, 237, whatever, into this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 105 days, was it? No, not days. 130. 
thirty hours. Hours or hundred and two hundred thirty-seven jumps they've done jumps, so far. That's right. And Ty decides to say, "Go ahead and sleep, man." Yeah, I got take this. one, take one for me, old yeah. man. I love how he calls him old man too, when he's probably older than a dog. Yeah, yeah, they're damn close. I can tell you that much. <laughs> We then move over to the flight deck. We have a great scene between Starbuck and Lee. This is, yeah, this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode. I totally, I mean, if one, I, I'm a sucker for the soldiers, the pilots themselves, sure. seeing their interactions, and Starbuck and Apollo are both great. But I love, you know, yeah, Starbuck, Star, we're, this is the first episode we've seen, you know, we get the sense of this from her in the earlier episodes too, but she really does toe a hard line when it comes to ethical circumstances or morality. She is, you know, whereas other people will discuss it, maybe have a hard line opinion, but they're still kind of willing to talk about it. She's the one who's just like, no, fuck it. Like, no, not doing it. You know, just absolutely. This is my position and I'm not, not faltering, not changing. Yeah. Um, do you think that's the case or do you think she's challenging Lee? Oh yeah. No, in this, it's definitely a little bit because I love how in this little interaction between them, you know, there's this gigantic, you know, conflict and problem and immediate crisis that's affecting all of them. And we're seeing that huge pressure, but the way that it is applied between two very intimate people, you know, they know each other very, very well. And the way the pressure plays out between them, you know, I think we see that she, if it were a different lieutenant offering her the same command, I don't think she would fold at all. I don't think she'd be laughing. I think it would be a fuck you. I'm not taking these period. But because it's him, she laughs at the whole – I think when, when they're laughing, they're laughing at you know the idea of – imagine if you know a guy you went to middle school with or your, your close friend that you've been playing video games with and look, sneaking playboys out with together. Now you're in the military together and he's technically a rank over you and he gives you an order and you start arguing. You would probably have in the back of your mind like, oh, look at all the dumb shit we've done together. Like now we're fighting like <laughs> we're, we're brass in the military bickering about orders like – it's just it, – it, that's what I get the sense they're laughing about. Like, oh, I'm, I'm above you. I have to give you an order. <laughs> and they're both just like the, the pressure of the situation. It's also – it's one of those times where the absurdity of these big structures and the hierarchies of it all become really apparent. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that this close friendship has to be I'm ordering you to take drugs. And it's just like, ah, oh, fuck. Okay. Like – I like that. I can buy that they each kind of relent here because them, it's just them so sharing much. a laugh is is one of the most heavily characterized things in the episode. In the episode, and I love it. It's easily one of my most favorite scenes of this episode. Them them sharing a laugh says it's uh, there's there's hundreds of words there that you could use to try to describe that, and it's oh, yeah. done simply with a laugh. And this is where this episode shines. This is why this episode wins an award. Because that laugh communicates so much subtext that you don't have to waste dialogue on. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We see her bucking because that's what she does against authority. We see her bucking on Lee because they're especially close, right? Exactly. Him ordering her around, I mean, she knows she's a better pilot than him. And for her to be ordering. Oh, and he knows it too. (laughs) And he knows it too. Everybody else knows it too. You're Mm -hmm. the cag. Start acting like one. Yeah. Maybe she's also doing him. Maybe she's trying to do him a favor too. Like, if this was me in your position, I'd tell them to fucking take the goddamn drugs. I'll smack you in the mouth. Yeah. And that's when they laugh. But yeah, exactly. I like that. It's a great dynamic. It really is. Yeah. I, I, I love I, the pan over to the chief who's just watching. Yeah. And then and he starts, like, Starbucks like, what? And he's like, Psh, I don't know. And he just walks away. <laughs> I don't know what you guys weird ass <laughs> dynamic over here. But uh, yeah, and I, I like that, you know, that the argument is it's both her taking that, I don't want to do this. I'm not doing it. But then also being like, 
hey, idiot, you're in charge of me, <laughs> in a way, giving him a piece of angry advice of like, yes. flex your fucking authority, you have it, so do yes. it. Like, Absolutely. you know, that's what you need to be doing, which is her looking out for him. That's mm-hmm. what's so funny about yes. it all. She's totally kicking him in the teeth and being like, pull yourself up, dude, you're in charge now. Right. Ah, it's so good. There's Star- so there's volumes to be spoken about here. Starbuck is a brash, rebellious pilot who's great. Oh, Seems yeah. pretty much like a arch- archetypical character, right? Yeah. However, when you add this dynamic to her where not only that, but she understands the subtlety of leadership and, and what that means. She gets it just naturally. She has a natural inclination to get that. Oh, yeah. And I think it's on display here. I think for, for me, what I love about the scene is, is I love where she's like, I know I'm going to end up taking these stims or whatever. I'm a pilot. It's my fucking job. That's what I do. If there's one thing Starbuck does is it's her job. She does what, she, what has to be done. That's yeah. something she doesn't, that, that she doesn't shy away from. And she's like, but I'm going to break this guy's balls. A, because I haven't slept in a while. And B, because he needs to step up. He's yeah. not everybody's best friend anymore. He needs to learn. And I'm going to teach him because I'm Starbuck. Exactly. It's cool. It's great. But then we see the Galactic Completing Jump 238. Start the clock. Ty says Start again. Start the clock. Oof. D notes a civilian ship is missing. Boy, oh boy, what a scene. Unaccounted for. And Ty is the one who really drills down on her hard right yep. here. And, you know, Adama actually is the one kind of kind of throwing her a bone. Or it's actually the, the other lieutenant who steps in a little bit as well. But, you know, they're saying, well, Gata, it could have been. Gata, a, yeah, he sticks yeah. up for her. Yeah, he's saying it could have been a navigational error. It could have been they jumped to the wrong place. Uh, or it could have been that the Cylons actually picked them off and destroyed them before they were all able to jump. Or it could have been flat out that she did not account for them, did not get everybody under the wing like she was supposed to, and send them the right coordinates to jump to, and just lost them. That's right. And Ty continues. I like, yeah. I like what Ty does here. He has a reputation for being a hard ass. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, as we saw in the previous uh, miniseries episode where he's like, anyone should have noticed it, especially the ship's XO. Like, he's not afraid of taking responsibility. Yeah, he's hard on himself. And, he, and, he, and, and he's, there's a fairness in that hardness. It's equally applied to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And even he says here, he goes, yes, we're tired. Yes, there's no relief. Yes, the Cylons keep coming. And yes, we're still expected to do our jobs. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because he's saying, I get it, guys, but we can't make a mistake. And then Adama, this real, real, grave, grim sentence. Uh We make mistakes, people die. (laughs) As he's just cleaning his glasses. And then he just says, carry on. I'm like, So he doesn't bail D out. No. But but by saying carry on, he's saying, you're still the best at this. You're competent. Continue. Welcome. Welcome to life in the CIC at war. This is what happens. Yes. That's one of the biggest, I think, you know, a big change for all these people. And we harped on it a little bit in the very first episode of, you know, we are watching a military here, unlike, unlike even our military, which, you know, recently has been at war or has been active and deployed in these certain ways, you know, and yes, there may have been conflicts they've had with other human beings that happened before the timeline of the show. We don't know. Um, but as far as full scale, real war pursuits and battles and large scale campaigns, None of these people, other than like Adama, Ty, maybe a handful of others, have seen it or know anything about it. This is these people's first real taste of combat and conflict. And that's a point he's making there of like, look, this is war. No matter how good you are, mistakes happen and people die. That's what this is. You know, this is war and we're going to lose people. 
Um, and I, I like, again, you know, one of the points Ty made too, and he's kind of railing on her a little bit, but he's saying it's not that something happened. It's that we, it's that we don't know what happened. Right. You know, we can't even, it's not just that we lost the ship. It's that we have no idea how, you know, what we might've fucked up or what we didn't fuck up for it to lose. We just completely lost, you know, lost sight of it. And, and that's, that's a bad, you know, it, that's scary because it means you don't know what to even fix. You don't know what, what problems are sprouting. And, you know, that just, you know, shows how far strained they are again. Awesome. And, and it's 1,345 people, Matt. Ooh, yeah, Thir- that's 1,300 huge. is a lot of people. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You, you got to think about that for a minute. That's in, in one mistake. Mm-hmm. And then what? We go to the Colonial One. We see Roslyn have to go to that board, take it from 49,998 all the way down to 47,972. And then I love, I love her line, her delivery here. Very much seeing more and more parallels between her and Adama where she just says, okay, Next crisis, you know, of just fully accepting that the next thing on the docket is also a terrible nightmare crisis, and we're just going to have to deal with it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, man. And then when she says, next crisis. Yeah. (sighs) Damn. Damn. A tough presidency to inherit. Yikes. The Battlestar Galactica board game, which is really cool, is built on the idea of crises. It's a su- it's a super fun game. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games makes it <clears throat> so Damn. fun. I highly recommend it if you haven't played it. Uh, try to get five people to play, five or six, and uh, you will not regret it. Oh, it's, a, it's, so a, it's a it's a it's a co op game. <laughs> oh where, wait, one quick question: If I played it right now, would there be spoilers of the show? If you play you if you play the first one, I don't think so. If you play it without expansions, I think you're good. Uh-huh. I'm pretty okay. sure you're good. Um, but here's what I'll say. It's really cool. So you, you, and the cool thing is that you pick a character. So you pick a character. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then you're playing on the ship and then there's this thing called the crisis deck and the crisis deck attacks your resources, food, water, fuel, etc. Ooh. And the, the trick is, is that you have this hand of cards and you play two cards into every crisis. And the hope is, is that through a match of colors, you get enough numbers to defeat the challenge level and you play them face down. Now, the kicker is, is that before the game starts, a random person is chosen as the Cylon, but ah. you're not to reveal that. Oh, that's, it it's sounds the so best. good. It's the best. I want so, this so bad. What happens is, is, is that you have a challenge. So it's the cha- a challenge will come up and be like, fuel tanks are... Fuel tanks have caught fire, and uh, if you don't pass the challenge, you're going to lose four ticks of fuel. If you make the challenge, you don't lose any. So you got a random. You have a deck. You have a random deck that throws two random cards in. Then you have everyone throw in the appropriate color to beat the challenge because it calls for a color. Now the random deck can put an off color in, and if it does, it takes away from the challenge. Right. So if you're a Cylon, you can play an off color to spike the challenge on purpose. Because no one's going to know who put the card in, right? Gotcha. And then you're, and you're, you're, you're basically saying, I'm taking away. I want to take away from the challenge number. So Because we add up all the cards and we go, ooh, these three colors aren't part of it. We got to take them out. Now, nobody, and now, there's not a guaranteed Cylon, which is also fascinating. But people blame people at the table. I played a Cylon <laughs> once. I'm like, I think you're a Cylon. Or, or, uh, dude, it's so fun. Because when you spike talent, 
when the random deck comes in, it, it spikes the challenge. But if there are three negative cards in there, you know that somebody's definitely silent because two come from the random deck, even if it was random enough to get two. But a third means somebody deliberately put the third card in. Exactly. And you go, oh, fuck, that's... there's a Cylon, and they spike the challenge, and you fail, and then you lose fuel. <laughs> and they're trying to get it to where you don't succeed. They're playing against you, and you're trying to figure out who they are, and then... You know, different characters have different powers. It's wild shit, oh, man. It's fucking I'm so wild. on board. <laughs> yeah, it's any any board game with a traitor mechanic is super fun. It's super yes. fun. Ah, it makes me think that. of this uh, this shit a lot, especially with uh, Gaius and this Doctor Amrak shit. Ah, uh, somebody, my Christmas present right there. Someone take note. That's <laughs> all I want. So, uh, Gaius wakes up on his lakefront property. Because Dr. Amrak was on that carrier, and he's feeling fine, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. God's watching out for you guys. God's watching. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that is. And he's like, I don't think so. He's like, there are no God or gods. No large, invisible men or women taking an interest in the fortunes of Gaius Baltar. Mm-hmm. And so the way like, here that she says, be careful, that which God gives, he can also <laughs> take away, seems very much... Again, like a direct reaction of her as a Cylon. You know, I think we really have to start thinking of her, at least to me anyways, as kind of a Cylon. I mean, I guess we kind of have to think of every individual Cylon like this as Cylon emissary or ambassador. They can kind of speak for all of the Cylons. Maybe they're not all the time. Maybe they do form individual agendas. You know, I think Six must have some level of totally individual uh, agenda about her. But speaking as a Cylon, I think there's a lot behind that saying, be careful because we can take it away. Because that sounds to me like regardless of what actually genuinely happens to the Olympic carrier before it shows up again at the end of the show, I I think the Cylons knew that Amarak was on board and were maybe covering for Gaius. Like mm. there is – he is a part of something larger that he is not fully aware of yet and that Six is grooming him for or at least covering for him for I, – I get the feeling – that she's protecting him for now for the Cylon, for the larger Cylon need for him. And she's also has these weird individual feelings for him that she's trying to navigate at the same time, which I think that maybe the Cylon design of, a, of the, the skin job is so good. It's so close to human that it is kind of forming its own human ways and, and emotions that are beyond what it was programmed to be. And I, I think that's kind of what's going on here as well. Whereas she's also still participating in whatever the larger Cylon agenda is that has Gaius in mind. So you think the Cylons as a collective are covering for Gaius by having Amrak be on that Olympic carrier when it disappears? I kind of do. And I'm not going to take that as far to say as, oh, I think Gaius is the key to everything and the only thing that Cylons are after, but I think he's a part of it. And I think... They had because she, the what she also says in the scene, you know, is that there might all, there were probably Cylon agents already aboard uh, the the Olympic carrier. So right. that makes me wonder too about you know there were already people on there. They probably were you know the Cylons on there probably did know about Amarak and what he must have known. You know his level of importance. It just seems too coordinated. I like your style. I and mean, the time, towers the, the, don't free fall, Dean. They don't free fall. <laughs> Tower seven, baby. <laughs> yeah, there is a um, there is an interesting note on the timings here. It almost feels like when she when Gaius pisses her off, things turn. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Where he's like, "Fuck God," and she's like, "Hey, buddy, don't start talking bad about God. We're covering your ass." That's that's uh, pretty wild. So 
does that mean that she's a chip in his head? I mean, what what does that mean in that they're relaying this info because they know? If you start to drill it down, it becomes a wild proposition when you think, oh, it okay, weird. Yeah. she knows. I mean, does she know? I, I think to some extent, yeah. We'll talk about it more. Yeah. I've got a lot to talk about here. Oh, yeah. Now, let's say this. Oh, uh, quick, side, quick aside here. Uh, the Titanic lost, do you know how many souls? Oh, Ooh, hold on. Don't tell me. Let me guess. Um, 3,000? There was 2,224 on board. Oh, okay. Wow. So not quite. 710 were saved. 1,500 died. 1,514. Wow. So the Olympic carrier is essentially the Titanic tragedy. Give yeah. or take two hundred people. I mean, that it's heavy. It's huge. And do you imagine huge. feeling that like that's resting on your shoulders as D? Ugh, yeah, brutal. But let's talk about this next few moments because D probably feels a sense of relief here for a minute. Yeah. So back on the CIC, the crew waits. Dreadus comes up, no enemy contact. Ty and Adam are hopeful. The crew sit anxiously. We get a few tense moments, and then we cut forward a little, and we've, we're plus forty-five minutes from the thirty-three ending. No enemy contact. Uh-huh. Boy, what a what a you know, relief. Exactly. What a relief, but I still love how soon Adama is still just like we wait. Like don't yes. we don't just going to go, "Oh, okay, great. Everybody kick off your fucking shoes. Let's take a nap." Like, no. This is we are not out of, you know, the dark waters here. We see uh, a real nice panning shot of the CIC. People just out. Adama phones the president. <laughs> Let's figure this shit out. They talk about the Olympic car and the possibility of going missing has something to do with the lack of Cylon presence. And then Adama tells her they're going to have to go to condition two, start cycling in some sleep. And then Rosalind defers to Adama's decision, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I really do like this from her that in this, you know, she basically calls it a military matter. And she's like, look, Mm -hmm. in this, I defer to you. And I I think that was also, she's trying to throw him some goodwill from the other time where she had to really, and I don't blame her because eventually Adama saw the ways of what she was saying, you know, saw the light of, look, this isn't a war to fight. It's about saving the human race. Now, you know, she kind of brought him around to that view. Uh, He saw the light of that, but I like that in this situation later on, you know, she very purposely is like, look, I I know you have expertise and I'm going to defer to that. You were right. Yes. Both very good, competent leaders. Thank you, madam president. Adama then orders the pilots to start the rotation. We get an exterior on the pilots. Adama and Lee pull first patrol because they're on drugs. That's another cute <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Did uh, I say Adama? Starbuck and Lee. Starbuck and Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, but is it is it Starbuck? I, I, it might have been Lee who's like, oh, yeah, drugs. This is definitely a simulated flight. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's uh, good. Lee asks how uh, Boomer's holding up, and Starbuck says, Oh, she's fine because she's a Cylon. Wait, what? She said that? She makes that joke. I totally missed that. How did I miss that? Because it's over the radio chatter. Uh, yeah, she's holding uh, up well because she's a Cylon. And Boom's like, don't make me come kick your ass. That God, this show's just laying it on thick as far as that's concerned. That's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Boomer, you wrap that ponytail just like a Cylon. <laughs> 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 fucking everybody. God, they're all going to swallow those jokes so hard eventually. Ty's like, oh, oh boy. He's excited about some rack time. And uh, this is a wonderful moment. Oh, yeah. When the Olympic carrier. Well, almost. Oh, wait. Ty says, I don't know if you caught this, but Ty says, oh, this has me feeling more alive than I felt in years. <laughs> That's right. And That's Adama right. says, it's good to see you without the cup. And, and uh-huh. this is really good acting here. 
because Michael Hogan is playing it off like, ah, yeah, punch you in the arm. And Adama is, is too, but then he's like, I'm, I'm serious, Saul. It, it's yeah. good to see you. The people notice. And Ty's like, well, if the crew doesn't hate Derek, so he isn't doing his job. He says that. And, <laughs> and then he's like, besides, you got to make the old man look good. And Adama says, I always look good. But I, I, I do, this, is, this is nice character building here because oh, yeah. you can tell that it hurts Adama. This is what I felt, that Adama feels pain when he sees his friend like a fucking drunk stiff. So it makes you feel a deeper, something deeper about their friendship. Like, yes, we get it. They have a deep friendship. We see how loyal Ty is to Adama. But we also see what Ty means to Adama. You know, he's the yeah. ship's XO when he tells Chief Tiro. And now he's saying it's good to see without the cup. It means something. The crew likes that too, you know, not just me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That he has purpose again, that he's doing something, you know. Yeah, I really, this is a good moment too. Dreadest contact though. Wait, what's and that? Dreadest contact. Oh, yes. The yes, Olympic yes. carrier returns. Thank the gods, Ty says. And Adama yeah. says, action stations. Oh, I love it so much. Boss fuck this. Something's so wrong. Fuck. That is oh. so bossy. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It just returned from, we know for sure, a Cylon overrun position. And now it's suddenly, miraculously back. Fuck that. Everybody ready. Man the guns. Yeah. The greatest action stations call of all time. Yeah. And then he just is like, restart the clock, 33 minutes. And Ty's like, oh, I hope you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Me too. Nobody Uh, wants this to be uh, right, uh, but uh, better be fucking ready. A hard cut to Gaius. Why are they showing up now? And Chick's like, well, it's punishment for your lack of faith, dude. Exactly. Again, that seems not metaphorical. It seems like related. Like, I made this shit happen. That's what it strikes me as. It strikes me as more and more that. Ugh. The nice so thing crazy. about this is, is that you are not sure what's going on. No. And neither is the audience. And that is this. Six offers the logical explanation, but she also says, no, it's for your lack of faith. Which is it? Is she using her inside knowledge to manipulate Gaius? That seems to be what you think, right? She's using so, this inside knowledge to manipulate Gaius. Yeah. Yeah. To what end? No idea. <laughs> He's, he knows something. He knows something that is so precious or so dangerous to them that they feel like they have to get a control of it. Uh, I don't know. Like it, it seems like they don't want to just destroy the Battlestar mm. or, or the Colonial One or wherever, wherever he is. Interesting. You know, Colonial I, still, One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've been tracking you all along. If you're going to survive, the Olympic carrier must be destroyed. Because obviously, Amrak coming back puts guys in a really bad position. Oh, yeah. And that's when we, we, we continue on with the Colonial One where Boomer contacts them and she's like, you know, uh, Boomer contacts the Olympic carrier talking about, uh, oh, no, she contacts the Galactica. And then that's when Adama's like, listen, we're going to ask some questions. Yeah. How did you escape the Cylons? And he's like, oh, man, they just broke off. And then the captain start, starts to mention this Dr. Amrak. He knows something about a traitor in our midst. And then Gaius jumps in, and this is great James Callis stuff here. Oh, yeah. He, Wake up already. Like, he really goes after the president. Yeah. And he's yeah. smart enough to cook up a really legitimate reason that Adama immediately buys. Yeah, absolutely. There's probably a silent agent aboard. Listen to me. Cut off communications to that ship before they infect our ship, essentially, is what he's saying. And Adama yeah, but, agrees. And Billy's like, boy, thank the God you're with us. 
Uh-huh. Bought himself a lot of goodwill real quick, and especially in a lunatic way. <laughs> really did a bit of a risky gambit, but it pays. It does. The gods have nothing to do with it, he says, to further spite six. And that's when Deed then orders Boomer to break off all communications. They move to signal lights, and they start flashing them. It's that great, cool, like, flashing boom, 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 boom. Like the sound of it. Yeah. Like the Morse code lights. Mm-hmm. Do not approach the fleet until further notice. And it just keeps coming. Does it not slow down. Doesn't stop. Inexorably drawn. Yeah. Adamus. It seems like it's on a pre-programmed mission. Like it is it like again, the way they refer to the the Cylon attack uh ships, you know, just unmanned. Like it's a drone now. That's it. Lee orders Boomer to break silence. I like this. I like Lee taking the initiative here. Yeah. No, he I says, do listen, too. they're not following the signal lights. Break radio silence and tell them to stop their engine. And Boomer does. She's like, Olympic car, stop your engine. And then he says, Starbuck, this is another excellent, excellent thing. Starbuck fires shot across their bow and she laughs. She's like, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I'd love to make some civilians shit their pants, right? That's what she's thinking. <laughs> you can see it on her face. Yeah. And then she, this fucking ship full of Jody's here. Eat some shit. She goes, weapons hop. <laughs> and um, she laughs a little. She's having fun right here. Yeah. But it goes from bad to worse fast. Really quick. Reaction shots on all the crew member, multiple Dreda's contacts. The Cylons show up with a goddamn base star. They're two minutes from weapons range. And the ECO crash down, picks up the radio, uh, radiological alarm, and the Olympic carrier has nukes on board. Oh, boy. So it has brought with it a Cylon fleet. It is carrying nukes itself, coming nonstop towards the middle of their uh, entire fleet. And now they have to take it out. And the thing is, they don't know what the state of the passengers are. Are their passengers still on board or not? Have they been killed or not? Were they just completely captured by the Cylons before this ship jumped back to where they are? Who knows? Nobody knows for sure. And this is when Starbuck has... Possibly a huge rift with Lee by Lee, you know, accepts his father's command of, all right, we have to destroy this. We don't have a choice. This thing's got to go down. You know, Adama gives that command and Starbuck absolutely does not want to follow through with it. This is outstanding. Adama says to the president, Madam President, we have to eliminate the Olympic carrier immediately. And in Gaius back and so you got this thing, you, you, you got the... The temporal, the the real life shit going on here, the the, the tangible things, which is what are we going to do? What do we do? What, what are we going to do? Not sure. And then you've got the six saying, "God wants you to repent." Oh, yeah. So uh-huh. let me ask you this question. Oh boy, is this pure coincidence? That right? Do <sighs> exactly. you know what I'm getting at? Right? Yes. So absolutely. the decision to destroy the Olympic carrier comes up. Does six have something to do with that decision somehow, mystically? I don't know if I would actually describe her connection as a mystical one, but the fact that this operation is going down and has been coordinated by the Cylons and that she's communicating it to Gaius is all certainly connected. Uh, I, I would think I'm predicting as much at least that, that this is all part of an effort to both protect and extort Gaius right now. But let me ask way. you this. Sure. Suppose, Lee doesn't follow through with the order. So, in other words, is Six gambling that Lee's going to pull the trigger based on Adama's order? Does she is 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 it just a logical, calculated play? Like, okay, look, 
the commander is not going to allow this to happen. He's going to give the order to destroy the ship. In other words, if this is an elaborate scheme, is it a gamble that that, that they're going to destroy the Olympic carrier? Or do you think that she knows the Olympic carrier is going to be destroyed? Hmm. I think... Because before this moment, the things we were talking about were, okay, you you said this has got to be a manipulation ploy to get him to do what he's going to do. Yes, that's possible. But doesn't that rest on the fact that Lee still has to pull the trigger? Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I it's they, not, it's not a stretch to assume no. they're going to not let it, you know, blow up the fleet. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think they, they banked on that. I think they, they must've assumed it was going to be destroyed. Uh, and I also get the distinct feeling that it, that it did but maybe, not have- So in other words, so maybe not, div- maybe not a divine, maybe not divine foreshadowing. Maybe they didn't see the future. Right. I, I see. That's the thing. I, and I think for them, even though it's, it's enshrined in the lexicon of religion and religious words, God, faith, blah, blah, blah. I think for them, they, you know, they work like some kind of like, uh, you know, supercomputer where it has calculated all the possibilities as some gigantic algorithm to figure everything out. And it's obviously not predicting the future, but I imagine that they get to, you know, okay, this has a 97% possibility of, of working the way we have conspired it. Sure. And I think they probably felt so confident in their, you know, configuration of this plan that yeah, they could it, that though she could present it as faith. Okay, as so like, no mystical nonsense is what is the bottom line. Yeah, see that's the thing. Okay. I think at the end of the day there is no mystical nonsense. It's just she is framing it in this weird religious way that I I don't think she truly See, this a, is weird, get, a weird angle to take with with an admitted so atheist, weird. right? Exactly. It's so weird. It's so, uh, this, it's the weirdest mystery of the show to me, uh, and I, I really don't know where it's going to go. Truly, um, but I do think that either either she doesn't really believe in what we would think of as a god, and she's just using our words to describe whatever that is for Cylons, um, or so this a, is the so a would be she. It's it's a complete deception. I, yeah, I suppose. Okay, so what? So it's either that. What's your next point? Um, or th- that she, the individual aspects of six, are starting to have some weird kind of faith. Uh, although she, yeah, so of course she's a Cylon and still connected to the Cylon agenda, whatever that mysterious thing may be. But maybe the individual human aspects of her are developing and becoming religious in some way that that is also connected i don't know i.e evolving beyond programming exactly yeah okay. so, so a she's totally full of shit b she's evolving beyond her programming but still working the agenda basically i like yeah. your style that's okay, that's cool. that's as i like good hearing as, you work i like hearing it is you work me. it out absolutely i yeah. like it yeah <laughs> accept his true love and you will be saved i repent there i repent i repent and Rosalind's on cue do it Yes. I mean, it's it's a little creepy. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Boomer relays uh. the orders. Starbuck isn't having it. Lee, what if you're wrong? Lee, come on. Fire on my mark. Starbuck says no. Mark, he opens fire. She does too because she doesn't want him to carry that alone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I don't know about you, and they never really fully establish it one way or the other, but I do get the sense that, like I was saying earlier, regardless of whatever happened uh, before this, you know, the Olympic carrier jumped to their position, the passengers on board are captured or dead. I don't think they are on that ship anymore. When they shoot it, when when Lee and Starbuck open up on it, I don't think there are just human civilians on board, you know, waiting to die. 
You think it's empty? I think it is empty. Excellent. One way or the other, it's empty. Those people are either already dead or have been captured and rounded up. I like your style. So I'm like, that would have been a position, if I were in Lee's position of having to execute this order and Starbucks going, whoa, what the hell? Why? This is crazy. Let's not do this. I would be saying, look, this if this is truly a Cylon-controlled ship now, there are not people on here. Either those people are already all dead or they're just not on this ship. They're somewhere else. Let's just take out the threat. Gotcha. You know, the, the, the downside, it's not, I think a big factor in calculating risk is what's the worst case scenario. If the worst case scenario is, oh, we take some damage, maybe we lose one of our ships. Okay. That's rats. You know, you still want to try and, and avoid that as much as you can, but that leaves you some wiggle room of decision. If the worst case scenario in this is every single one of us dies. Okay. We can't accept even that possibility sure. like that. That's just that, that to me, immediately erides that as a choice. (laughs) That just can't happen. I like your style, kid. But it's a tough call. It still is a tough call. I see what they mean. Okay. So they open fire, slow-mo, they blow to shit. Later, we see uh, Commander Adama consoling his son. I gave the order. And he's like, but I pulled the trigger. That's mine. Yeah. So he's owning it, man. And it's not easy. They are mutually taking responsibility in their ways. Nobody, I like that. You know, neither of them are are shunting, you know, the weight of it. That's right. 24 hours, no Cylons. At least you know it was the right choice. And Rosalind isn't too sure. She asks for some time alone. Billy reveals the birth and they update the board. Uh, what a fucking scene. That is lovely. I mean, have we had any scene with this, even a very small, it's a very, very small note of hope, but even this level of hope. Have we had that yet? Like, I don't think we have. This is the most hopeful scene of the series so far. Yep. Mary McDonnell is brilliant here. So good. She is so good. The way she kind of like squats down that smile, that close up on her face when she gets to add one to the board, the 47,973, her reaction. You know, baby was born on the rising star, Billy says. You know, the name of the ship, even the rising star. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, It's such a great. It's a very dark, rough episode. But oh, yeah. like you said, even though it's just a one, a plus one tick, it's a tick in the right direction that suddenly opens up your eyes to the possibilities of if we survive, we will survive. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and just also to, to think of, you know, the, how many circumstances would, do we have a world leader considering something so intimate and individual as this? Like, you know, they're looking at their tally of their entire population. She adds one number to that. And she is so deeply happy at that. And so, you know, thankful for that one person. You know, it's as a world leader being able to step into that seat of just another human being is 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 a touching thing. It's lovely. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, yeah, thus concludes the episode. Uh, that is it. We managed to talk about it just as long as we did the miniseries episode. Plenty to talk about. And I still, oh, we still yeah. got a little more for you. Still got a little more for you. Huh? What oh, a bargain yeah. you guys are getting all this content. Yeah, lucky fucks. <laughs> all right. So should we, we'll close out with a trivia question or do we close out with uh, our final something? We'll do a trivia question now, I guess. And then we'll, yeah. we'll do a wrap. We'll do our final thoughts and predictions and all that good stuff. All right. So, Trivia question, Matthew. It's time. Got to keep up my record. By your command. (laughs) So say we all. All right. All right. So 
Here what is you got the, for me? Here's what I got for you. Ty and Adama have to take this precaution in next week's episode. Ooh, ooh, ooh. One, extended security presence on the CIC. Resource rationing. Anti-rad distribution to all galactic crew members or space combat training for civilian pilots. Let me read those again. Ty and Adama have to take a precaution next week. It is either A, extended security presence on the combat information center, B, resource rationing, C, anti-radiation distribution to all Galactica crew members, or D, space combat training for civilian pilots. I'll say right now I'm leaning towards either B or D at this moment. Damn, that is a tough one. I have been thinking about, you know, uh, it has crossed my mind the idea of they are kind of the shepherd of this little herd of civilian (laughs) ships. And I'm like, who does, who's carrying food? Like, you know, you get the sense that a lot of these ships were, you know, God, for all we know, tourist passenger ships, you know, going here and, you know, (laughs) it's a fucking Gilligan's Island crew of people who were not ever intending to be on a long haul of space. And God knows how many supplies they may or may not really have. And who is really capable of producing anything? So that's been a bit. Resources has been something that I've been thinking about. Of how are they going to handle that? So I definitely lean towards that. Um, however, I'm imagining you know with the way this episode ends with the side you know we get right there's been a pause, but the cycle starts up again of the Cylons. Boom! It's another 33 minute cycle. They're attacking again, and they don't have that many Vipers. That is a certainly a limited resource um they're not able to construct more viper ships so there is to me the possibility that yeah we're gonna have to find a way to to retool some of these civilian ships to be able to fight and start training people so th- those that's my thinking right now those are the okay, two so you've narrowed it down to two. Oh yeah definitely it's definitely right. b or d um my gut hasn't failed me so far i'm gonna say d i'm gonna go with d Space combat training for civilian pilots. Space combat training. I think that's going to be the way it goes. We're going to need more security. I mean, it can't be Starbuck and Lee and their Cylon sidekick taking out everything. They're going to need more help than that. Bonus question. Ooh, Unrelated, but I thought of it while watching ahead. (laughs) Nice. Bonus question. Starbuck loses a card game to this unexpected contender. Imagine that. Ooh, Here are the choices. Right. Whoa, lost my mic. Here are the choices. A, Leodama. Unexpected means she wasn't playing with them in the first episode. Okay. A, Leodama. B, Gaius Baltar. C, President Roslin. Or D, Boxy, which is the kid that Boomer brought back. Oh, shit. Starbuck loses a card game to this unexpected contender. Leodama, A. B, Gaius Baltar. C, President Roslin. Or D, Boxy. Shit. Rosalind. I'm just going to say it. Rosalind, because I really want to see that. I want to see a scene of Starbuck and Rosalind playing cards. Come on. That sounds great. I'm so on board. All right, my man. There we are. There you go. There are your trivia questions. Do, 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 do. There's a part of me that wonders if I got it right, if I got either of those right, who knows? Uh, But (laughs) if any of our listeners are going to be like, this son of a bitch is looking ahead. I do not believe it. He's a cheater. (laughs) It's the only way. Or else they're like, ah, this dumbass just screwed it up. He lost his. Getting shit. the trivia questions is not worth spoiling this te- the teaser, no. this, this show. Yeah. It's not even because you know, it, for what? It doesn't gain you gain nothing. 
<laughs> Bra- bragging uh-huh. points to ruin an entire TV show. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, awesome. Good job, man. We will, uh, we will, of course, answer those questions at the top of next week's episode. Yes, yes. All right. Now, let us get to some wrapping. Let's wrap this up. Here's how we're going to wrap this up this week, my friend. Okay. Wrap it up. Boop, 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 boop. Um, I have a question for you. What other Jesus yeah, getting drilled? What over stood out to you? Here's how I want to close out. What stood out to you this week? What what was it about this episode? Something had to stand out to you. What was it? Was there a standout performance that you can narrow? A standout dialogue? Was there a was there something that stood out to you as the shining moment in this episode and why? Hmm. You know, when you first asked it before you started clarifying. Um, which I still want to think about this more. That's especially as far as a standout singular moment. But the biggest thing of the episode that really took me by surprise and I really enjoyed, like I was saying at the top, was the the sheer structure. You know, this this idea of the way they are being pursued by the Cylons, this very cold robotic chase of unending inhuman pursuit that that cannot go on forever. I mean, that alone is such a... This show has given me a more palpable sense of doom and how it's such overwhelming odds. Like, you know, there are there are things, you know, every action movie has, you know, it's a total cliche of the world's going to end. We have to stop the entire world from being destroyed. Everybody runs to that as the high stakes. Sure. You know, oh, the world's going to be destroyed. And that's, a, that's as big as it gets in a way. OK, I feel it. But that's been done so many times that the the real visceral threat of it has been sapped you know how many movies how many even really shitty low budget b movies has the entire world been at threat you know that's such a dead idea the way in which this show has done it brings it to the forefront in a way that i have not felt in any movie or show in a long time uh that this just this structure of just watching these characters that we are coming to know very well be pounded in this endless way is new it is striking uh, and it's very memorable. And that, again, the structure alone, I found to be so unique. Um, that was definitely a, a, the biggest standout to me. I was really wondering how does the first episode of the series set itself out and, and differentiate itself from the miniseries, and what foot are we starting on? And I think this was great. This was a great choice. So that there structure, I like it. Great as far, answer. Yeah, and as far as far as a moment. That's tough. That's um, that is hard. You answer the question, okay? You, you, right. you got what I was going for. I, the, the standout, the stand, the thing that stood out to you about this episode is the way it was structured, and that's a great answer. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm going to offer a little something. You know, I'm, I'm reflecting because I've seen this before, and there's something that's really occurring to me now that I, I think I missed when I first watched this. I'm going to share it with you, and it's almost Ooh. like this revelation. We're going to have revelations with Dean. Um, uh, in the beginning of this episode when Starbuck and Lee argue about the stims it's a great contrast against the end of the episode when Lee and Starbuck argue again and Lee pulls the trigger before Starbuck that's fascinating to me because that's true you don't know Lee Adama for shit but the one thing you don't you think of him as is kind of a, a disgruntled daddy's boy fighter brat who who hasn't, who, who seems like I want to save lives. I don't want to take the risky calls. Colonel, can you give us the stuff? We're trying to save these civilians. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's odd to think that 
he pulls the trigger before Starbuck does at the end. I think that's a very nice shift in what would be a predictable outcome. In that very end scene, Starbuck opens fire in, uh, across the bow, warning shots. That's funny to her because she's it's a gag. She's in control. Yeah. But when it comes to actually blowing them away, Lee He's pulls like, the trigger. Yeah. She, he, he has to push that forward. And again, and, and he is taking her, you know, angry advice from earlier of flex your rank. You're yes. the authority. You make it happen. Don't argue or bicker with me about it. You just do it. Yep. And he took that lead this time. Two scenes for for two characters that I think really mesh well from the beginning episode to the end. And obviously your answer for structure is great, but that's something I, I'm 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 having this revelation now, even though I've seen this a couple of times about that dynamic and I like it a lot. Very good shit. Hell yeah. All right. Well, we will return next week with more Battlestar Galactica. I'm not even telling you guys the names of the episodes coming because I don't want to spoil anything, even though nope. Technically speaking, Matt can now go look at the next episode title. And, won't do uh, it. Still won't do it. Still won't do it till the day. Uh, and uh, I think as soon as he sees that, he's going to get some inclination as to uh, the teaser questions. <laughs> Ooh, nice. So no, I am there curious, you go. But I still will resist. <laughs> All right. Well, we will return next week with more Battlestar Galactica. We thank you so much for tuning out. You know, if you've been listening to us for a couple of weeks now, do us a favor. Rate and review us on iTunes. It's a great way to help get the show some exposure, keep us up in the new and noteworthy section, and uh, help grow the show. Anything Absolutely. you'd like to say to these people? Yeah, no, just more to that point. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts on the show. It definitely is something I love to hear. Is just people's thoughts, how we're doing. Yep. All right. We will got. We will catch you guys on the flip side. And uh, until then, so say we all. <laughs>